This is The World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Ukraine's National Atomic Energy Company said that Russian shelling had damaged the infrastructure of the Zaporizhia nuclear power station in the southeast of the country, risking a leak of radioactive substances. Russia has accused Ukraine of shelling the Russian-occupied plant. Russia refused to approve a revision to the UN's non-proliferation treaty because it would commit signatories to expressing grave concern about Zaporizhia. The US Navy said two American warships were sailing through the Taiwan Strait, the first to do so since Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House of Representatives, visited Taiwan this month. The Navy said it was demonstrating America's commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific. China, which claims Taiwan as its own and carried out large military exercises in response to Ms Pelosi's trip, said it was monitoring the ships and maintaining a high alert. Officials in Pakistan said on Sunday that the death toll from floods after heavy monsoon rains that have affected the country since mid-June had risen to more than 1,000. In appealing for international help on Friday, the Prime Minister, Shabazz Sharif, said that 33 million of Pakistan's 230 million people had been affected by the floods. Protesters skirmished with police outside the house of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, Argentina's vice president, on Saturday night. Five officers were injured and four people arrested. The demonstrators were showing support for Ms. Fernandez, who on August 22nd was accused of corruption by a federal prosecutor. If convicted, she could face 12 years imprisonment and be barred from public office. She denies the charges. America's S&P 500 stock market index fell by 3.4% on Friday after hawkish remarks by Jerome Powell, chair of the Federal Reserve, at an annual gathering of central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Tackling inflation, Mr Powell said, was likely to require a sustained period of below-trend growth, but the Fed must keep at it until the job is done. In July, the Fed announced its second consecutive 0.75 percentage point rate rise. Gita Gopinath, the deputy head of the International Monetary Fund, warned that a consequence of the Fed's tighter monetary policy, the strong dollar, would make it harder for poor countries to repay their debts. In an interview with Bloomberg TV, she suggested that rich countries ought to improve programs to help them saying a lot more speedy action is needed. The UN called for a ceasefire after clashes between the Libyan government and a rebel militia on Saturday. According to the health ministry, 23 people were killed. A UN-brokered peace deal in 2020 ended the political violence that consumed the country for nearly a decade after the fall of Muammar Gaddafi in 2011, but Saturday's fighting suggested that sectarian conflict may be returning. And word of the week, Euskera, the Basque language, which, against all odds, has seen an increase in speakers of 350,000 since the 1980s. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Brazil's presidential hopefuls face off. On Sunday, Jair Bolsonaro, Brazil's right-wing president, 
and Luis Inacio Lula da Silva, his main rival in the presidential election on October 2nd, are expected to face each other in a televised debate. Lula, as the left-wing former president is known, leads polls by double digits, but Mr. Bolsonaro has been gaining ground thanks to recent hefty government spending. The incumbent, who likes to remind voters of Lula's time in prison after a corruption conviction that was later annulled by the Supreme Court, has warned of a choice between good versus evil. Lula, who slams Mr. Bolsonaro for high inflation and for mismanaging the pandemic, has said that his rival is possessed by the devil. The debate, which will include four other hopefuls, is sure to feature more mudslinging, that is, if the candidates don't drop out at the last moment. The president has wavered on whether to attend, and Lula says his appearance is conditional on that of Mr. Bolsonaro. The Joy and Pain of London's Carnival More than a million people will gyrate through Notting Hill Carnival this weekend. Europe's biggest street party was begun in 1959 by immigrant Trinidadians, but now encompasses other Caribbean, African, and South American cultures. Soca, calypso, dancehall, reggae, and dub vibrate out of massive sound systems. Children parade on Sunday, while adults in mass, masquerade, and Brazilian samba outfits follow floats on Monday. Barbecues churn out Jamaican jerk chicken and Trinidadian roti. Carnival celebrates diversity, but its history is of discrimination. It began in the Caribbean as a way for slaves to resist their masters. The first in West London aimed to heal communities after the race riots of 1958. In 1976, young, downtrodden black men clashed with police. In 2008, the Windrush scandal saw British citizens from the Caribbean deported as illegal immigrants. The return of Carnival after a two-year hiatus is another chance to try to heal old wounds. Verstappen gets his wings. Can anyone stop Max Verstappen? As the Formula One season returns from its summer hiatus with the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa-Francorchamps on Sunday, the Dutch driver has an 80-point lead, with just 9 of 22 races remaining. His Red Bull car is a match for its driver. The team is leading the constructor's tally. There is little to suggest that either of his main rivals, Charles Leclerc of Ferrari or Sir Lewis Hamilton of Mercedes, has the consistency to beat him. Mr. Leclerc has a superb car, but made costly errors at the French and Emilia-Romagna races. Sir Lewis, who is 32 points further back, has the opposite problem. He has raced impeccably, but his car has proved sluggish and unreliable. Mr. Verstappen won the 2021 season by the skin of his teeth when he overtook Sir Lewis on the final lap amid controversy over the withdrawal of the safety car. This year, he is revving up for a clear victory. Salt and mealworm flavor crisps? Mealworms are a beloved snack of bluebirds and hedgehogs. Spiced and fried, the beetle larvae feature at Southeast Asian street markets. Last year, the golden worms were also approved as a novel food for humans in the European Union. South Korean food scientists are now trying to also promote the taste of the protein-packed grubs. They have mapped out the flavor profiles of the meal beetle throughout its life cycle, with aromas of wet soil, 
shrimp, and sweet corn, and experimented with cooking methods. At the meeting of the American Chemical Society this week, the scientists are showing off their best recipes. Heating powdered mealworms with sugar and garlic powder produces a distinctly meat-like flavor of the kind used in convenience foods like snacks and sauces. Perfecting the caramelization could make them contenders in the meat-related flavor market, which is forecast to grow to $9 billion in 2025. But the bigger crunch will be getting customers to take a bite. Weekend Profile Michael Heiser, the artist behind City. Richard Nixon was still America's president when Michael Heiser, one of the country's foremost land artists, began his mysterious sculpture project in 1972 in the high Nevada desert north of Las Vegas. Few people were allowed to see the work in progress. Many thought it would never get done. As the years passed, it took on a mythical quality in the art world. Naysayers notwithstanding, half a century on, Mr. Heiser's city is complete. On September 2nd, it will open to the public, even if, to maintain its atmosphere of splendid isolation, at first only six people a day will be allowed to visit. As an artist, Mr. Heiser is almost completely self-taught, fascinated by drawing from an early age As a teenager in the late 1950s, he helped his father, a famous anthropological archaeologist who was excavating an ancient Olmec site on the Yucatan Peninsula. Then he spent a year in Paris, mostly in its museums. I saw it all firsthand, he says. Quote, You can't go to school and learn about art by looking at a bunch of slides projected on a wall. The artist started work on City with a huge piece at one end called Section 1 a rectangular slope surrounded by concrete struts. I worked entirely intuitively, he says, with no ongoing thought or consecutive way of planning. The finished work is more than a mile and a half long and half a mile wide, making it one of the biggest contemporary sculptures ever made. Walking through it feels as much like being in a garden, albeit one with no flowers, as in a city. There are mounds and walkways, as well as discrete spaces that could be neighborhoods. It is both intimate and epic, forbidding and yet inviting, a work that is utterly itself. At 77, Mr. Heiser has made his last visit to the site. He lives far away, at sea level, for the sake of his damaged lungs. But his stubbornness is undimmed. He refuses to explain the significance of the work. It's the visitor who does the interpretation, he says. I don't give a damn. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Gyu Youngju, Wonju, South Korea, North America, Michael Slater, Naperville, United States, Central and South America, Martin Whittle, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Europe, Glenn W. Most, Florence, Italy. Africa, Paul Lee, Pretoria, South Africa. Oceania, Jennifer Bladen Clark, Melbourne, Australia. They all submitted the correct answers of Elder, Big Blue, Jack Straw, Black Beauty, Goose. The theme is berries, 
elderberry, blueberry, strawberry, blackberry, and gooseberry. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Robertson Davis, who was born on this day in 1913. If you don't hurry up and let life know what you want, life will damned soon show you what you'll get. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.